Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Can you believe it? We're almost at 200. I know. We're uh, getting close. <laughs> Buiti, Binafi, and Bienvenidos, bitches. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied, white dudes. What? No, it's true. I am happy to break it to you, actually. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, come to find out, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. Now we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. Right. She is a co-conspirator, an <laughs> anti-racist, wonderful white lady. <laughs> and we're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or... Leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. We use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patron. You can yeah. also support the show by supporting our sponsors. Please do. Yes. And who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Charles Lindell Carter, a confessed serial killer from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh. And this story was researched by Minnie. Yes, 
thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Minnie, Minnie, you did a fantastic job. Um, Also, when I, I have not been able to help myself. Whenever I see these Charles Lindell Carter, I just think Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter. I know they're not (laughs) the same person, but But I know I have, they sound similar. They do. I have a special place in my heart for the Carters and, but not this guy, (laughs) not this one, Uh, not this one. (laughs) So before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. So all this stuff coming out about the FBI raid of Trump's house. I the fifth. (laughs) All that stuff. Pretty exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than it feels good. It feels like karma uh, is finally uh, coming around. Is coming around. I don't want to jinx it, but it does feel like something's going on. So that is yeah. good. Like, uh, yeah. like justice. Um, some great smart person talked about the moral arc of justice, how it bends towards freedom or it bends towards something bends but towards, it's really yeah, the, slow. The, the arc of uh, something bends towards Some justice smart person. yeah 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 <laughs> Either way, something bends takes, towards justice. takes a long ass time so it feels like the bending is really working in our favor yeah so that's yeah what I'm, that's what I'm here for <laughs> yeah yeah and oh, hopefully something good. happens yeah. yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed uh well i don't have anything to report it's it's august the summer yep. is coming to a close. The kids are back Yay. in school. <laughs> I, I got to say, w- one of the reasons we moved here is because I wanted my children to be exposed to blackness and all the different forms of black and brownness and right. um, so that their existence could be affirmed so they could be more safe and better humans. And I'm just, I want to go to school with my kids so bad. I mean, my son is learning Langston Hughes poems. Um, wow. He is rapping math equations, like the wow. formulas that they made you learn in algebra and shit. Remember how cumbersome it was to write them oh, down yeah. repeatedly to remember them? His teachers come up with a rap song to help him remember. Wow. I mean, That's I just awesome. want to please let me go to school with you so bad. <laughs> uh, but I can't. Uh, so anyway, but it's just it's it's um, I just love cool. it here. So yeah. I, this also was exciting to research because when um, places and names came up, I was like, oh. I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, all right. Well, uh, before we get into the episode, let's get into some listener letters. All right. Hello, angels. Thank <sighs> you. Hello, angels. Oh, well, what's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thanks to Janice for your email with a yes. bunch of suggestions. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hip hop. We Air really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. I also wanted to say thanks to Ali Nod on Twitter for shouting out Minnie and how much you like her. That's right. That's right. We we would not be where we are today without Minnie. So we too love her very much and are so grateful. And thank you, Ali Nod on Twitter. Um, what else is in that bag, Beth? Well, we got a voicemail from Ty, and this was back in June when we were on break and it kind of went under our radar. So we're bringing it back. Okay, here's the voicemail. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Beth. Hi, Minnie. My <laughs> crime con 
superstar. Um, I just listened to the episode of This Is Ty again. I left you guys a super, super long message last time, so I'm going to be very, very discreet and simple this time. I just wanted to say that I listened to the episode while I was at work, and this is the second time that I've cried at work while listening Aww. to your podcast. Whoa. And no, not for the victims, not to be rude, but because I love you guys so, 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 so much. Aww. I literally was bawling listening to you, like, at the wow. um, at Crime Con. Wow. And I was just so, 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 so happy because it felt so personal to <laughs> hear you guys achieve these things. Um, and I love you, ladies. And many girl, you had to come. And we know you did. And we are grateful that you did. Oh, yes, we are. Yes. Thank you so much for all you do, many girl. Um, <laughs> yes. I love you guys so much. I just, Aww. I really do. That's all I have to say. I have nothing else to say, but I am so proud. And I can feel, you know, my crime junkie heart beating from the inside out. And I love y'all so much. Um, that's it. That's all. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you, Ty. That was awesome. Fantastic. That was so sweet beautiful all the things Ty we love you so thank you so so much oh my god and Minnie's gonna love this yes (laughs) yes I actually butt dialed um into our voice messages on accident and I was like a voice message what and and I realized it was from June and so thank you so much please be patient with us we're we're just we're doing our best to keep it all yeah, together so yeah sometimes um, we we uh, can't stay on top of everything <laughs> we can't but we love and appreciate y'all so much leave it send us more yeah, voice mails yes, um, send please. us more messages we we are more we emails, read everything yeah. we see everything and so we just are really really grateful for y'all that are rocking with us yeah. um no patreons this week but you know where to go where you can sign up um for bonus content um we're doing uh, oh we had to- um, somebody on Patreon say they like our extra extras better than our I, <laughs> regular oh, episodes. <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I loved that note because yeah. if this if this ship goes down, at least we'll have Patreon forever. <laughs> um, but it is it is really cool because we, we get to do a little bit extra behind the scenes, all kinds of extra stuff for y'all, and it's it's a lot of fun. So we've got some stuff planned for the end of the month. So stay tuned, join the Patreon, um, and you don't have to commit forever. So we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. 
That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. All right, and we're back. Now, uh, remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Charles Lendell Carter, a serial killer from Atlanta, Georgia, who murdered at least four people, one man and three women, but probably more. Yes. So let's get into some stats, shall we? All right, so Charles Lindell Carter, a.k.a. Daryl Lamar Reese, um, in one account, he was described as six foot three inches and 210 pounds. So not a small statured um, no. individual. And in other accounts, a 6'2", 240, either way, he was large, um, yep. a big guy, regardless. Uh, we're not 100% sure about the race and ethnicity of the victims, but I did want to point out that statistically, this is sad, and don't let this be one of y'all. Statistically, three out of four white people don't have any black friends. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, so on top of that, the areas that where the crimes took place were black parts of the Atlanta metro area, which is mostly black, but you know, America's There's segregation. It's, pockets, it's con- yeah. It's, yeah, it's pocket. So um, given that the killer is a black man due to history, proximity, and geography, we are pretty confident in our conclusion that most of the victims were black. Um, now the victims are rest in power, kings and queens, and any non-binary royalty that we haven't appreciated in the story. Um, Michael Leon Sneed uh, was murdered in 1992. April Allen, 38, she was an administrative assistant. Uh, Angela Thayer Green was 35 years old. She was a mother of six. Uh, Lisa Rosenthal was 40 years old and a single mother of two. Now, he is apparently a person of interest in the abduction and death of a young girl named Brittany Leanne King, who was 16 out of Henry County, Georgia. And Carter's MO was stabbing, strangling, and sexual assault of people that it's believed that he knew. The crimes took place in in 1992, 2003, 2004, 2005, and 2006 in the greater metro Atlanta area. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, Atlanta, Georgia, and its environs between 1992 and 2006 is our setting. We've covered the history of Atlanta extensively in past episodes and focused on different elements of the area's history to help us tell the story. The history of Atlanta is impossible to cover in one little episode episode, but here's a little taste. All right. So for thousands of years prior to the arrival, I hate saying that word because arrival's too nice. But arrival <laughs> invasion. of yeah, invasion um, of European settlers in North Georgia, the indigenous Creek people and their ancestors inhabited the area. Atlanta and the greater metro Atlanta area is on Muscogee Creek Nation land. The Creek Indian ceded land that is now metro Atlanta per a treaty, which I'm sure was 100% shady in 1821. The Civil War began in April of 1861 and ended in May of 1865. The central cause of the war was over the dispute of the institution of slavery. The South wanted to maintain the horrific institution. Abraham Lincoln was the president at the time and won his election on an anti-slavery expansion platform. I would have voted for him, but I'm black, (laughs) so I couldn't have done that. Anyway, the American 
American <laughs> Civil War is one of the most studied and written about events in U.S. history and is the subject of cultural and historiographical debate. Abraham Lincoln was not an abolitionist who criticized Southerners. He thought slavery was morally wrong, but didn't know what to do about it. Um, now, abolitionists knew exactly what to do. Abolish slavery immediately. Lincoln, on the other hand, took a very long time to try to figure out exactly what steps ought to be taken. He didn't hate slavery enough to abolish it, nor did he love black and brown people. He actually thought they were inferior to white people and once suggested sending them all back to Africa. Um, <laughs> Just run me my check. I'm out of here. Uh, that's what I would have said. But, <laughs> you know, uh, so but Lincoln did love the United States of America and wanted to keep the country united. Some black scholars argue that if Lincoln could have ended the Civil War without freeing the enslaved or ending the institution of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation, he would have. During the Civil War, Atlanta's population was over 9,500. During that time, the city's multiple railroads made it a strategic hub for the distribution of military supplies. The area around Atlanta was the location of several major army battles, culminating in the Battle of Atlanta, which lasted four months. Wow. Whoa. The Battle of Atlanta sounds like a hip-hop event, but it, it wasn't. Uh, and it sounds I wonder super if, fun. I know. Like, are, are there going to be vendors? Is there going to be food there? Um, can I get a snow cone at the Battle of Atlanta? It sounds like a lot of fun. So the um, the Union Army, the good guys, were under the command of William Tecumseh Sherman. In September 1883, Confederate General John Bell Hood made the decision to retreat from Atlanta. The mayor of Atlanta surrendered to the Union Army, and General Sherman told the city's civilian population to evacuate. After the Civil War ended, Atlanta rebuilt itself during the Reconstruction era. The city grew and was promoted as the New South. It's all brand oh, new, guys. Sounds wow. <laughs> so shiny. New universities were erected, including Clark Atlanta University, which includes Spelman and Morehouse in the center of the city. Yeah, and uh Clark Atlanta is uh it's an HBCU, a historically black college and university. And the reason was uh Reconstruction was really really great, super progressive, but they still wouldn't let black people go to school with white people. So Jeez. we had to form yeah. our own universities right. um, to um, educate our population. Yes. Now, despite the growth, progress and prosperity that Atlanta was experiencing in the New South, the white elite no longer had the institution of chattel slavery to control black bodies and maintain their supremacy. So they saw black people as stolen property just roaming around. Hey, there goes my toaster. Get back here. That's what it was like. So oh federal God. troops, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, federal it troops is. re <laughs> remained in the South to try to maintain Reconstruction and the civil rights of the freed men there. Jim Crow was a manifestation of white supremacy in the Southern states from the 1870s, the fall of Reconstruction to 1965. The white elites decided to control black people through restrictive laws that separated the races and disenfranchised black people and poor white people in the South. Jim Crow dictated how black and white people in society had to behave. The consequences for black people failing to abide was fatal at times. White folks were also bound by this contract. Jim Crow and segregation ultimately hurts everyone involved to varying degrees. 
Yeah. Increased racial tensions led to the Atlanta race riot of 1906, when white people attacked black people, leaving at least 27 people dead and over 70 injured, with extensive damage in black neighborhoods. I didn't get into it, but I am curious now, again, what the article said. What did people write at the about time? this event? Yeah, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Talk amongst <laughs> yourselves. In, in 1913, Leo Frank, a Jewish-American factory superintendent, was convicted of the murder of a 13-year-old girl in a highly publicized trial. He was sentenced to death, but the governor commuted his sentence to life. Yeah. Um, And there's so much we don't know. So I have so many questions. But an enraged and organized lynch mob took him from the jail in 1915 and hanged him in Marietta. Wow. The Jewish community in Atlanta and across the country were horrified. Wow. The Civil Rights Act was signed by President Lyndon B. Johnson in 1964, which legally ended discrimination and segregation that had been institutionalized by Jim Crow laws. But although Jim Crow laws were officially diminished in the mid-60s by policy, by practice, it never really ended. This was followed in 1965 by the Voting Rights Act that ended efforts to keep minoritized people from voting. Also notable, in 1968, the Fair Housing Act was passed, which ended discrimination in renting and selling homes, but did it really? (laughs) (laughs) A little, not a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) It was a band-aid over a gaping wound. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In the 1960s, Atlanta integrated its public schools and the Fair Housing Act banned discriminatory housing practices. And that led to white flight. So rather than allowing black families to enter white neighborhoods and schools, the white people just left. Bye. Bye. You know what's wild yeah. to me is that they interviewed white people. I mean, these people were on the news showing their asses about yeah. how they felt about it. And it was right. it's just really um, interesting because what I gather and I, I try to be an empathetic person and try to put myself in other people's shoes. They were scared. Yeah. These white people were really scared. And so right. I, I, I understand. I guess I can understand that. But it is just it's aggravating, aggravating. And plus the whole race thing, the my skin is better than your skin is so right. stupid. stupid. Um, yeah. So, so I, this is a, an aside, but oh, Oh, um, tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, at work. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, we used to work with a, a older lady, mm-hmm. um, and she she has since retired. But um, she used to talk about how her schools were integrated and how her parents fought it. And oh yeah. no, yeah. she wasn't ashamed of them. No, she was proud of it. Oh my god, oh, that makes me want to throw up. I know. Wow. Wow. I know. The things that that woman has said. Wow. I, there's reasons why I didn't like her. <laughs> I confronted her on on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You did. Oh, bet that's why we love you. That's why this is there needs to be how can we clone you? To, so that we can <laughs> there needs to be more white women in the world like you because I'm going to be honest <laughs> that sometimes white women can be a lot awful um, yeah yeah agreed and- yes <laughs> <laughs> See, even she gets annoyed. I and do. So the, and, and they're more, they seem to be more receptive when it comes from somebody like them. From a white right? person. Yeah, yeah, from somebody exactly. like you. You're you're like a safe, super informed white person who can teach your fellow white ladies not to be so problematic. That's, so I'm just grateful racist. for your existence in the world. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know what? That's kind of racist. You're fucking cut. That's racist. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's what, what you 
sent to her? I, Is that I how didn't, it went? but that's how it went in my head. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank God for you. You're a blessing. Now, anyway, what, anyway, back to this story. So one third of Atlanta's white population, roughly at the time in the 60s, 150,000 people left the city for the burbs in the counties of Gwinnett, which is very white now, DeKalb, which is very black now, Forsyth and Clayton in order to maintain a false sense of comfort they felt due to their whiteness and the homogeneity in their neighborhoods. With them left the tax revenues and the opportunities for communities to thrive through diversification. In the 1960s, Mayor Ivan Allen promoted the slogan, Atlanta, the city too busy to hate, to serve, to welcome prosperity and progress of all races. The motto had its fair share of criticism, including that it was a clever way to avoid addressing the real roots of racism in the city, citing that a more accurate version of the motto was, quote, the city too busy to care, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if the shoe fits. Yep, if the shoe Um, fits. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things can be true. We can be too busy to hate and also look back so we don't have the same things happen again or continue to happen. Uh, But I'm just a podcaster. Anyway, at the time, (laughs) Charles Lendell Carter came into this world. It was on the tail end of the civil rights movements of the 50s and 60s, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the Vietnam War, and the assassination of Martin Luther King in Memphis. Per the U.S. Census in 1970, the population of Atlanta was 495,000, and that's in the metro area. That same year, the population was 51% Black, 39% White, and the remaining 7% were Asian, Latinx, and Indigenous. Atlanta's position as an economic powerhouse has been undeniable when you consider it is the home to companies like Coca-Cola, the country's busiest airport, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, CNN, as well as many TV and movie makers. Now, the city even hosted the Olympics in 1996. But along with many other major cities in the United States, Atlanta was hard hit by the crack epidemic of most of the 1980s to early 1990s. Doing drugs! (laughs) There she goes! In 1994, Atlanta was ranked the most dangerous city in the country by the Morgan Quitno Press. Oh. Never heard of them. Now, during the, two, during the 2000s, the city of Atlanta underwent a profound physical, cultural, and demographic change as some of the African-American middle and upper classes also began to move to the suburbs. A booming economy drew numerous new immigrants from other cities in the United States who contributed to the changes in the city's demographics. African-Americans made up a decreasing portion of the population from a high of 67% in 1990 to 54% in 2010. That's still a lot. <laughs> it is. It's more It's more than half, and I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. From 2000 to 2010, Atlanta gained 23,000 white residents, 5,000 Asian residents, and 3,000 Latinx residents, while the city's Black population decreased by about 32,000. Between the mid-1990s and 2010, stimulated by funding from the HOPE6 program and under leadership of CEO Renee Lewis Glover, uh, who died in 2013, the Atlanta House Authority demolished nearly all of its public housing, a total of 17,000 units and about 10% of all housing units in the city. Wow. That's now, a where lot. did what did they do with what did they where do did, with those where people? Where did they Leave go? Them, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> where did they go? <laughs> hmm. 
Well, all we got is questions on this one. Yeah, so many, <laughs> so many. See, sorry. <laughs> the city is served by the Atlanta Police Department, which numbers 2,000 officers and oversaw a 40% decrease in the city's crime rate between 2001 and 2009. Specifically, homicide decreased by 57%. Wow. Rate yeah. by 72%. Wow. Mm. And violent crime overall by 55%. Crime is down across the country, but Atlanta's improvement has occurred at more than twice the national rate. Go Atlanta. Yeah. I wonder I, I wonder if that has to do with the economic growth of the city and the opportunities. And less you know, poverty. Less yeah. I mean, there is still poverty, but at the same time there is a lot of opportunity, so less chances for people to get swept up fall in into the cracks. The crime yeah. cracks. Yeah. Right, right. Um, nevertheless, Forbes ranked Atlanta as the sixth most dangerous city in the United States in twenty twelve. Aggravated assault. Assaults, burglaries, and robberies were down from 2014. Mexican drug cartels thrive in Atlanta, and 145 gangs operate in Atlanta. The Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority, a.k.a. MARTA, which operates rail, bus, and parking lots in the city's surrounding areas, has its own police force, which I didn't know. Wow. And so I was, I thought it was, that was really interesting, so that's why I put it that in there. That is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Their own police force. Wow, the bus police? Wow, the MARTA, yeah, wow. MARTA bus police. The MARTA's gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> Consistent with national trends, the murder rate in Atlanta peaked in 1990 and has declined since. From 2000 to 2010, murders in the city declined by nearly 50%. Speaking of crimes, I just thought this was also interesting. Some notable true crimes in the ATL include the Atlanta child murders, which we've covered, um, the Atlanta prison riots. We have not covered that. The Atlanta um, Olympic Park bombing. Uh, in 1996 hmm. and the 2021 Atlanta spa shootings. Remember when yeah. a one white guy who was having a bad day, quote unquote, yeah. killed a bunch of Asian women. It was, yep. it was ugly. Awful. It was awful. Yeah. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. 
Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. So now we're going to get into the early life of Charles Lendell Carter. Lendell Carter. I was going to say Smith, but it's Charles Lendell Carter. What do you got, Ben? Charles Lendell Carter was born in 1968 or 1969. We're guessing because we can't find the actual date anywhere. Articles Mm. give his age, but not his date of birth. He was likely born in Georgia, but we can't find any exact information on his birth date and place. You know what? It made me think of because I went to the Martin Luther King house where he was born. Uh, uh-huh. in, in Atlanta. And he was born in the house because his father said, I don't want my children born in a segregated yeah. hospital. Hospital. Right, right. Yeah. Where they won't get good care, etc. And so huh. I wonder if maybe Charles Lindell's Carter's parents, mother, whoever was involved in his birth might have had the same thought because I don't know if hospitals were desegregated at the time. Yeah, so that was know. that was where my head went. Um, Charles described his childhood as bleak with, according to him, a domineering mother and an abusive father. We couldn't find any other descriptions of his childhood from anyone else and no one seems to be stepping in to refute his description. So we'll take him at his word on this one. Uh, and he had at least one sibling. Charles was arrested 15 times, 15 times in the 10 years. Yeah, in 10 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) between Mm -hmm. 1987, when he would have been around 19 and 1997, when he would have been about 29 on charges involving theft, deception, battery, aggravated assault, probation violations and traffic offenses. He seemed to be interested in criminal activities from a young age. Oh, right. So Charles bounced between restaurant jobs as a chef. And by the time of his arrest, he had been living for some time with his mother at an extended stay hotel in Norcross, which is in Gwinnett County, just northeast of Atlanta. And we weren't able to find any other locations where he might have lived. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On March 16th, 1992, Michael Leon Sneed, age 35, was abducted from a Lawrenceville Highway gas station in Gwinnett County by a man who stole his wallet and his car, then shot him several times and left him for dead behind Henderson High School. Not long after this, at around 10 p.m., joggers in the area found Michael bleeding to death and they alerted police who quickly responded. At the time, it was thought to be a robbery gone wrong as Michael's attacker had stolen his station wagon to flee the scene. Michael remained in the hospital in critical condition, but succumbed to his wounds. Funeral services were held for him on March 20th, 1992 at Elizabeth Chapel Dawson Mortuary. On October 20th, 2004, so this is like 12 years later, long cooling off period. Yeah, Um, um, you know, he had all those arrests earlier in his life, so it could have been, he might have been in and out of prison at this time. I don't know. Mm, Yeah. But there you go. Uh, There we have it. Um, April F. Allen, a 38-year-old administrative assistant, was getting ready to start her day as her 16-year-old son headed off to school. From what we could find out, she was a mother of five sons and was loving and a cheerful person. Later that day, when her son returned to their home in the 600 block of Martin Street in Atlanta, he found her upstairs in her bed, deceased and covered in blood. That's horrifying. That poor young man. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Investigators called to the scene determined that she'd been stabbed several times and sexually assaulted at her townhome in Atlanta. There was evidence that she'd fought off her attacker downstairs and upstairs, knocking over furniture in the process. So it sounds like it was a hell of a fight. Hell, hell of, of a struggle. fight, yeah. Yeah. Um, her arms and hands had been slashed as well as she tried to block the knife her attacker wielded. Eventually, she was overpowered by her attacker. April, a mother of twin boys in college and a 16-year-old high school boy, had fought hard. Friends and family couldn't think of anyone who would want to hurt her. Police investigated, but there were no likely suspects nor any signs of a break-in. So the DNA profile obtained from semen left at the scene was entered into the GBI DNA database, waiting for a future suspect to be tested. About a year later, the day after Christmas 2005, Angela Thayer Green, a mother of six, went to visit a friend but never returned home. She was found beaten and strangled to death the following day inside of her friend's apartment in Norcross. She had clearly put up a fight because human tissue was found under her fingernails. It later turned out that her friend had previously dated Carter. The last time Angela's mother had seen her alive had been on Thanksgiving of that year when Angela had spent the day with her mother, grandmother, cousins, and six children. Mm. Her mother remembered that they had spent some time that day flipping through old photographs, having a good time laughing at their crazy outdated hairstyles in photos. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I'm, yeah. I'm really glad we found that little tidbit about Detail, Angela. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next time Angela's mother saw her was in a casket at her viewing. Angela's celebration of life services was held in Atlanta on Wednesday, January 4th, 2006 at Murray Brothers Cascade Chapel, and she was interred at the Mount Harmony Cemetery. Later that month on January 12th, 2006 in Alpharetta, Georgia, Lisa Rosenthal, age 40, a single mother of two who worked from home doing computer sales, walked her children to their bus stop. She watched them head off to school on the bus, then return to her condo to start her workday. Some hours later, uh, her youngest son arrived back home from middle school to find her dead on the floor. Mm. She'd been stabbed in the arms and the face as she oh tried God. to fight off her attacker. Yeah. Then fatally stabbed in the back. The last wound punctured her lung and heart, leaving wounds that she could not survive. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. What do you got for us, Beth? As the police investigated the brutal murder, they learned that video game equipment and DVD movies belonging to Lisa Rosenthal's sons were stolen at the time of the murder and pawned at a local store. These items were recovered by investigators and a fingerprint from Lisa's younger son was found on one of the DVDs. So they they know it was hers. Got him. Kind of. So <laughs> Carter had signed his name as the property owner on the pawn receipt. Not sure if that was boldness or just simple lack of interest or foresight in covering his tracks. Carter was eventually tracked down to his mother's extended stay hotel in Norcross and was arrested a month after Lisa's murder. That was quick. Yep. Well done, Atlanta PD. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that's not something I say every day. <laughs> When police brought him in for questioning, Carter avoided talking about Lisa. But according to the investigative file, he revealed that he had killed a man in 1992. That's when, according to the file, he told detectives that he, quote, might be some kind of monster, unquote, and a serial killer. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Now, yes. Now, if I'm a detective, I'm, I'm, tell me more. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he rambled on for an hour about himself and his problems. <laughs> Narcissism much? Um, while detectives just let him talk, hoping he'd give some details about his crimes. 
He told police that he had trouble sleeping at night because he kept seeing the faces of his victims and confessed to doing quote unquote bad things. So I'm thinking about this guy just sitting there talking about himself for hours Uh uh and how boring that would be. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell me one about the Zodiac killer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel for these cops right now. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, it would require a level of patience and and um oh, yeah, I guess the sure. the officers have to be somewhat calculated in these interrogations. Yeah, they have to pay attention. They have uh-huh. to yeah. So, and, yeah. yeah. And that, uh, that would be rough. Uh yeah, I get I you know, it's not a job I would do, but No. Yeah, I, I have like thought, you know, ooh, it'd be fun to be a detective, but this sounds like super boring. You know what, though? <laughs> I mean, you're a mom, right? How yeah. many times have you been like, who oh, did yeah. this? Yeah, and I'm talking to everybody and everybody For is sure. losing everything you love until <laughs> I get to the bottom of this. That's kind of like detective. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Investigating <laughs> yeah. Uh, what your children are up to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tra- tracking the them truth. on their phones. Who did this? Yeah. <laughs> You're lying. That's it. You're going into the hole. I mean, time out. <laughs> You're going into the shoe. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's kind of like, I think it's I, in my head. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like probably that. Probably not. Yeah. No. <laughs> So he told detectives that while working as a chef, he would often take on double shifts just to keep himself occupied, sleeping on a little storage room cot and asking his co-workers to keep him from going outside, quote, so I wouldn't do anything bad, unquote. Hmm. Well, he's self-aware. That's yeah. Good. But um, but still did still, a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, um, and, and asking his coworkers to yeah. like be responsible yeah, for yeah, his can behavior. You watch Fuck me. You. I'm a grown adult. Fuck you. If you wouldn't mind, and this is you know I remember remember in college like when you were learning your way and going yeah. to parties and like. Maybe you had a tendency to overdo it. Maybe this is just me. <laughs> oh, no, I did friends, too. Yeah, like, for sure. Look, if I start saying stupid, re- like really stupid shit, please just stuff me in the car and I'll <laughs> stay there until it's time to go. Um, yeah, except you know, like, you, you probably wouldn't, though. That You'd be like, fuck you. Yeah, I'm exactly, having fun. <laughs> exactly. What? Don't tread on me. Uh, so I don't know. Anyway, it's just we all I think we've all kind of been. Like, I don't know why I'm trying to find the humanity in this guy, because he's not a good person. But I'm just thinking, oh, that's we all been there. Relatable. Don't let me do bad things, friends. (laughs) So luckily, uh, we were just getting like super drunk. Exactly. Yeah. And not murdering people. Exactly. Exactly. So there's there's that. And maybe maybe that's why my mom is not proud of me. So (laughs) (laughs) that could be why she's so gravely disappointed. (laughs) So he calmly confessed that he thought about killing his children. So they, yeah, wow, that took a turn so that they wouldn't grow up to be like him and have urges that he has. He also told detectives that he had multiple personalities. Okay, okay. Okay, boo. Fulton County police homicide investigator Glenn Kalish later told reporters that Carter was psychotic, adding, quote, without question, he's the most disturbed person I've ever come across. I honestly believe there are more bodies out there. He is just so deeply disturbed, for whatever reason, that killing is just part of his life, unquote. 
Interesting. I'll save it for my takes. Yeah. So Kalish kept trying to get Carter to talk about Lisa, but instead he kept wanting to talk about how he had killed a man in DeKalb County and tossed his body behind a school. This man turned out to be Michael Sneed, whom we mentioned earlier, who had been murdered back in 1992 when Carter was just 24 years old. Wow. As they continued to talk, Kalish encouraged Carter to come clean about the other things that he said were weighing on him. At first, it seemed that Carter wanted to help, wanted to get things off his chest. But he then asked for his parents and sister to be present for his confessions, saying that he wanted them to hear what he'd done, which is a weird, to me, seems like a weird thing you know like, uh it, it does sounds to me like he wants to hurt them oh by telling them the truth yeah oh. well like bring my family in here so i can tell them all about all the bad things i've done because he knows they're going to be very upset you know yes that i think there that could be true i also think that just from a black male perspective um i have known several older black male narcissists and Mm -hmm. they want to tell everybody everything even if it's the most minimal thing but give it the most import and everybody else has to appreciate it because of their narcissism and so i think even if Charles Lindell might not have killed people if he had planted if he instead of killing five people if he had planted five watermelons he right, would have right. said bring Wanna, them all in here oh, so I can tell, tell them all about it yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's just that's just my impression from my Your experience take. with narcissistic <laughs> older black men so <laughs> okay so Kalish arranged for them to be brought in and his father and sister sat quietly but his mother interrupted Carter, who began to talk and told him to hush up now and get a lawyer. Carter pleading said, quote, but mom, I need to tell you, unquote. Her only reply to him was to be quiet. Now she's smart. <laughs> she is very smart. I don't yeah. need to tell the police nothing, nothing. Your, your bench says detective. OK, do that and leave me out of it. Yeah. Carter, not so smart. no. No. <laughs> Carter refused to talk anymore after that, but his DNA was already talking for him. Investigators sent his DNA to be entered into the state of Georgia's database, and it wasn't long before a match was found to the earlier case of April Allen, who had been raped and murdered in 2004. When investigators went back to speak with April's friends and family to see if any of them knew Charles Carter, they learned that April had told some friends that she had met Carter at a restaurant. Um, oh, this is totally inconsequential to the story, but I've been learning how people in the South, I've been picking up accents uh-huh. <clears throat> since I've been here. And uh, people don't say restaurant. They say restaurant. Restaurant. I was I was at the restaurant. The restaurant. I was at the restaurant. 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 Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to pass that along in case <laughs> okay, you ever come you. down here. Now, uh, she said he had dropped by her home and wouldn't leave her alone. At the time, the friends hadn't really thought anything of it. Carter was charged with Michael's murder as well as the murders of April and Lisa. Ultimately, he later confessed in August 2007 to the 1992 murder of Michael Sneed, but pleaded not guilty to the others. Hmm. He was due in court the following month for pretrial hearings. At the time, the police were also looking into a connection between Carter and the 2003 murder of Brittany Leanne King, a 16-year-old black girl. According to her mother, Charmaine King, on May 17, 2003, Brittany had told her brother, Brandon, that she was running up the street for a minute right before she was supposed to go to the movies. She never came home. 
She was found eight days later in an abandoned house in McDonough, Henry County, which is just southeast of Atlanta. The memorial service for Brittany had to be closed casket because of the condition of her body. My gosh. Yeah. Poor thing. Charmaine said she didn't know who would have taken her daughter, but she believed it had to have been someone Brittany knew. Quote, someone was supposed to pick her up at the house to go to the movies just for her to leave and go with someone else and not tell me she wouldn't do that. I talked to her an hour and a half before she left the house. It was not like her to leave for no reason, especially since she had plans for later in that evening. She was going to the movies. I know someone had to have lured her out of the house, unquote. At the time of Brittany's murder, Carter's father lived in Henry County and a car belonging to Carter's cousin had been left behind the abandoned house where Brittany's body was found. Well, that's pretty suspicious. Yeah. Carter's cousin told police that he thought Carter had taken it, but Carter claimed he had been carjacked while in his cousin's car. Okay. What? Yeah. Uh, Wait he did it. a minute. He uh, did it. Yeah, that's I'm bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's guilty. He guilty. He did that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also claimed that he didn't know Brittany. He would have been 35 years old in 2003 when Brittany had been abducted and murdered. Hmm. Well, judging by this bullshit story you just yeah, said. Yeah, he did it. I yeah. don't know if we could believe anything you say, Mr. Carter. Nope. Uh, so Carter was uh, considered a person of interest in the case as of 2007, but had not been charged with that crime. The house where Brittany was found had been demolished by this time, which complicated any additional investigation to find concrete evidence linking Carter to her murder. In 2008, while in the Fulton County Jail facing murder charges for April and Lisa, Carter's DNA was matched to the human tissue that had been found under Angela Thayer Green's fingernails. DNA does it again. DNA does it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in late April of 2008, Carter was finally indicted in Gwinnett County for Angela's 2005 murder. Gwinnett investigators were led to Carter, who was 40 by then. By DNA, he allegedly left inside Angela's home. According to Gwinnett County District Attorney Danny Porter, it took about a year to verify lab results, adding that Carter was indicted nearly two and a half years after Angela's murder due to some issues obtaining the police report and crime lab results and Carter already being in jail. At the time, Carter had been an inmate in the Fulton County Jail since April 8, 2006, and faced 15 charges in Fulton, DeKalb, and Gwinnett counties. He was charged with murder, felony murder, and burglary in Gwinnett. So now it's time to dive into the trial. So details for hearings, convictions, sentencing, etc. were quite confusing. Um, we tried to cobble it together as best we could. Shout out to Minnie. But yeah. the order of what happened first to last could be incorrect. So with that said, let's get it, Beth. Okay. <laughs> there was no trial in Fulton County because Carter pleaded guilty to and was convicted of the murders of April and Lisa in 2009. Carter avoided the death penalty by admitting in court to killing the women. In November 2010, DeKalb police filed a warrant against Carter, charging him with the 1992 murder of Michael Sneed. Richard Thomas was only 13 when his stepfather, Michael Sneed, was killed in 1992. During an interview in 2011 when he was 34 and living in Roswell, uh, that's north, Richard still remembered being devastated when his mother and three siblings learned that Michael was dead. Richard said that Michael 
a devout churchgoer and insurance underwriter, had raised him and his siblings as his own after marrying their mother. Richard said that when a DeKalb detective had told them that Carter was identified as a suspect in Michael's death, relief washed over him. Quote, it was just a big burden off us because we just didn't know who or why when it happened. Mm-hmm. I just want to see the guy gets what he deserves, whether he is prosecuted for my stepfather or the other parties, unquote. So 1992 to 2011, that's a long time to just not know. So I yeah. I hear that and I receive it and um, it makes sense. Um, yeah. In June of 2010, Carter filed a motion to withdraw his guilty pleas in Fulton County for the murders of April and Lisa, claiming that his lawyers pressured him to confess. <laughs> uh, a hearing on the motion was later scheduled for 2011. Chief Assistant District Attorney in Fulton County, Sheila Ross, said that if the judge allowed him to withdraw the plea, prosecutors would try to use Carter's apology to the victim's families against him at trial, which is interesting because, well, maybe not for criminal cases, but in civil matters, some states have I'm sorry statutes or apology statutes. So you can say I'm sorry and it's not an admission of guilt. But right, right. That might be different in criminal cases. Yeah, I think it's probably in this case. It, it makes would be a different. lot of sense for yeah. it to be different. Well done, <laughs> yeah. America's court systems. <laughs> And also it's in in the a court of law mm-hmm. that he's apologizing which it's right, different on the re- like, on the on the court on record, the record. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. a little different you're right yeah. you're right anyway at the previous plea hearing Cardi Cardi Cardi, Cardi B Cardi B <laughs> <laughs> What does she do now <laughs> <laughs> What's she Sorry. in trouble for now? <laughs> oh, God, we love you. <laughs> Carter had told the families of April and Lisa that they were, quote, strong women, good women, unquote. He said that they didn't deserve to die. Duh. And he regretted killing them, adding, quote, whatever I am, a monster or whatever, I do have a conscience and I am sorry. Unquote. <laughs> that that was, was like, really hard not to laugh. I'm sorry. You're, you, you are out of control over there with your ad libs, man. Wow. Duh. Duh. I'm a bad guy. Duh. So, oh man, ultimately the motion was was either rejected or dropped. We were unable to determine which. And Carter's previous convictions and life sentences for April and Lisa's murder stood. On March 3rd, 2011, almost three years after his indictment for the murder of Angela, Carter pleaded guilty in Gwinnett Superior Court to the murder of Angela back on December 26, 2005. He was convicted a little over five years after the crime had been committed. In April of 2011, he was sentenced to life plus 20 years for Angela's murder and burglary. This third life sentence was to be served concurrent with the two life without parole sentences he had already received for fatally stabbing April and Lisa in Fulton County. Gwinnett County Assistant District Attorney Stephen Fern said the killings for which Carter was convicted had similarities, and Carter tended to prey upon people who were having problems in their lives. Brian Ray, a criminal investigator with Gwinnett District Attorney's Office who worked the case, said, quote, from an investigative and psychoanalytical perspective, he's a fascinating case study in a very disturbed mind. But I feel for the families. Carter has spread a huge amount of grief and pain. Unquote. 
Authorities believe that Carter used a similar MO with all three victims, earning their trust and then being invited into their homes. Mm. Carter clearly knew the victims. He had a short relationship with April. He dated friends of the other two women. He was familiar with the layout of their homes mm. and he was calculating, waiting until the kids were gone before he attacked their mothers. That is so fucking sick. Yeah, it um, is. Man, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, it's evil. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Now, uh, there was additional evidence in all of the crimes. DA Stephen Firm said that Carter had previously worked as a chef a chef, a chef, a chef. A chef. <laughs> at a Norcross rest- restaurant called Asiago, a restaurant that no longer exists there. On the day of April's murder, Carter reported that to work at Asiago and was told to go home, quote, because he had blood all over his clothing, oh my unquote. God. He was wow. later fired. You fired. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you mean hmm. I can't do that? Oh, dang it. (laughs) In Lisa's case, a phone call was placed from her home on the day she was killed to a courier service called Quicksilver, where Carter was employed as an independent contractor. Jesus Christ, this guy's dumb. Wow. Documents with the Quicksilver business name were recovered in Angela's residence. As with Norcross Restaurant, Carter had attendance problems with Quicksilver that prosecutors said were brought about by the slangs. Hmm. He used Lisa's phone to inform his employer that he was running late. Stephen Ferd said, quote, he lost his job because he was out killing folks rather than actually showing up for work (laughs) and performing his duties on... How rude. How rude. Whoa. 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 You ain't supposed to be out there killing folks. How dare... Wow. Okay. You're supposed to be going to work. I know. It gives... Why are you fucking around killing folks? (laughs) It gives the whole great resignation like a different... different tone spin yeah like yeah exactly exactly like we're all like i don't know better pay better working conditions this guy's like nah murdering instead murder yeah (laughs) the video game system and dvds that were stolen from lisa rosenthal's home and records at pawn shops showed that carter listed himself as the owner of the property oh again Super dumb. Yeah. <laughs> One DVD copy of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Hell yeah. You know, I was in the fan club when I was a kid. I actually wrote them a letter. Really? Oh, yes. Oh and they send you, they send you like an activity box so you could do your hair. You could, um, they would send you instructions on how to make your outfit like um, Ace Ventura. I mean, it was a, wow. it was a whole thing. In the, it was crazy. the 90s. Anyway. It was the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So a copy of Ace Ventura Pet Detective carried a fingerprint of Lisa's son linking Carter to the scene. Mm, I love good detective police yeah. work when it, when it really comes through. When it's, oh when my it's good. God. Yeah. I also love the pet detective for his investigative <laughs> skills. Now, though Carter was never convicted of the murders of Michael Sneed and Brittany Leanne King, it is believed he is responsible for these murders and possibly more. Criminal investigator Brian Ray said, quote, I hope one day we'll learn about all of Carter's crimes because the other detectives and I worked on these cases believe there are more victims, unquote. Sandy Springs Police Sergeant Glenn Kalish, a former Fulton County homicide detective, described Carter as deeply disturbed, saying, quote, he had some unusual habits and longtime family issues. I know he's damaged a lot of families with his rage and destruction, unquote. 
In an episode of The DNA of Murder with Paul Holes from 2020. God, I looked hard for this episode, but I didn't have the streaming Couldn't service. Find it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Minnie's in Canada, so she has access to Just other streaming yeah. things that we can't we can't get. But yeah. anyway, I tried. But apparently there is a discussion on the possibility that Carter could also be responsible for two cold murder cases of two black women. The first is Jennifer Clemmings, 32, who was found dead in her home in DeKalb County, Georgia. And she was a bright, independent and successful woman who lived alone. On the night of January 27th, 2003 at 8.30 p.m., her friends received a very distressing call from Jennifer, during which she was heard begging for her life. Mm. They called the police, who immediately responded and were met with a horrific crime scene. According to Paul Holtz, Jennifer Clemming's case was more than a financially motivated crime. He said, quote, there is no question in my mind that this is a sexually motivated crime, unquote, adding that the killer used a financial dispute to enter the house, after which his true motive kicked in. Quote, I'm realizing I'm dealing with a very dangerous individual, a serial predator that uses financial or personal ruses to gain access to his victims. Mm. This individual possibly has other victims, both before Jennifer's case and potentially after Jennifer's case, unquote. I believe that is true, after yeah. um, after digging into this case and then looking at the timeline, there has to be more. Yeah. So the second cold case in which Carter could be involved is the case of Tamika Taylor, who Tamikia uh, or Tamika, I'm not 100% sure how it's pronounced, but I think it's Tamikia Taylor, uh, who was 27 when she died. She was an ambitious socialite and a successful businesswoman. She grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, attended the University of South Carolina, and later worked at Wachovia Bank in Atlanta. Family said that Tamikia was outgoing, bright, and had a wide network of friends and traveled in elite circles. Like Jennifer, she was a beautiful and successful young woman who owned a home in the suburbs east of Atlanta. Tamikia was found dead in December 2002, that's six weeks prior to Jennifer's murder. She was very well connected and had been scheduled to go to a holiday party at the home of an Atlanta radio personality on mm. the night that she died. What was especially disturbing was that she had made a call to the party host to ask if she could bring a guest with her. Tamikia never made it to the party and was never seen alive again. Both Jennifer and Tamikia were found bound and stabbed multiple times in their own homes, which were only five miles away from each other. Mm. The two women lived in similar neighborhoods that had detached single-family residences. As with Carter's other murders, neither case showed a break-in or any forced entry, implying that both the women either knew or were acquainted with their attacker. There was sexual assault in both cases as well. Mm. The voice recording from Jennifer's case picked up her attacker's voice. DeKalb County Police Lieutenant Rod Bryant said, quote, the voicemail recorded a voice exchange between Jennifer and the suspect, and it lasted for about 30 seconds. That suspect was basically telling her to be still, to quit playing, and what he was about to do to her. He was about to sexually assault her, unquote. Oh, my God. That must have been hard to listen to. Yeah. Tamikia was found totally nude and sexually assaulted. There were fingerprints found at the location. A bloody sock was found in one of the drawers in her home as well. As of the production date of the episode of the DNA of Murder with Paul Holes, they had not been able to find a match. 
In the episode, Sharon Hagen, a criminal profiler, put forth the theory that Taylor's murder was definitely not a one-time event, and it was likely to be the work of a serial offender given the wounds to her neck and significant slashing to the face. Forensic linguist Dr. Betsy Berry, who analyzed Jennifer's voicemail without having any prior knowledge of the case, said it was quote-unquote a rape situation, which ended in murder and that the man was probably a repeat offender. Polls indicated that the times of the attacks had been carefully selected to occur when the victims were home and free. He also noted that both women had been stabbed with knives that the attacker took from their kitchens. This could mean that the attacker did not want to risk being caught with a weapon on him because he was on parole or probation. Okay. Holes and his team checked for single serial predators through public source information and found one individual in the area who was an active serial predator at the time, Charles Lendale Carter. Another common factor in the cases is that Carter was known to frequent Jamaican clubs where he had met one of his other victims, April Allen. According to Jennifer Clemming's sisters, Jennifer also used to spend time in Jamaican clubs. Yeah, there's a huge Caribbean population. Uh, in the Atlanta area. And uh, I read, I think it must have been Jennifer's, um, was one of of the other women's um, obituaries, but loved Caribbean music and Caribbean food. Um, So that's kind of an, it's kind of interesting that there's more than one of his victims that um, were into it. Um, As of the production date of this episode in 2020, Paul Holes and his team were awaiting DNA results that would confirm whether Charles Lendell Carter is responsible for the murders of Jennifer Clemmings and Tamikia Taylor. Holes said, quote, Tamikia and Jennifer's offender could already be in prison. My hope is we're successful in getting a DNA profile from the bloody sock and that the DNA profile will identify the killer, unquote. We couldn't find an update on the results of the DNA testing. Well, I guess we'll stay tuned. We'll have to stay tuned for that. Yeah. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Um, Now we're going to get into where are they now? Lifestyles of the murderous and in jail. Well, uh, this is a short one. So Charles Lendell Carter is currently incarcerated in Baldwin State Prison in Georgia. Got him. (laughs) Hey, y'all got any space underneath the jail for this man? (laughs) Uh, Asking for a friend. So um, now we're going to get into our takeaways, what we think made him snap. So what are your thoughts, Beth? Well, it sounds like he did not have a happy childhood, which we know is a common denominator with serial killers. Yep. Um, he seemed to hate women, and he described his mom as domineering. Mm-hmm. And, and she was in the interview room. She told him to shut up, and he she did. She did. She did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she did that. She did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that could be the source of his anger. Um, 
But, you know, lots of people have mothers who are domineering and they don't go around killing people. But here we are. That's true. That's true. I yeah. do. I have a take on black mothers being domineering. OK. Um, yeah. So well, I'll get into it. But go ahead. Yeah. OK. Um, it is interesting that his first victim was a man and it sounds yes. like it was a carjacking. Yeah. Um, so it's completely different. Like, yeah. it's just not even part of the series. It was just yeah. like kind of it doesn't fit. Uh, no, it doesn't fit it was in like the puzzle. a one-off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and then twelve years there? later, he switched up to raping and murdering women. Um, and, yeah. and there was that big gap. And we talked about this before. He may have been, you know, in and out of, of prison. Um, maybe there were victims that we don't know about. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's also interesting that he himself described himself as a monster. Um, so yes. there must be some self-awareness there. Yeah, but. He also, like we talked about, he wanted his coworkers to watch him to make sure he didn't leave and do something bad, yeah. putting the onus uh, on his coworkers to stop him. Right. You're a grown <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. Stop yourself. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> stop yourself. <laughs> or lock yourself in your house and just go to bed. <laughs> yeah, go to bed. Stop stop it. Just stop. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the one of the I think it was one of the um police officers or it might have been a prosecutor, I don't remember, uh okay. was saying that he was psychotic. He's not psychotic. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. What? Why? Um, I think he was mixing up things like oh. uh, he may have been trying to say that he was a psychopath, you know, but a lot of people make that mistake. OK, they, they use psychotic, which means that you have a mental break. You know, he's probably a psychopath. I mean, oh, <laughs> he, okay. he was very intentional. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. He yeah. knew that what he was doing was bad. Mm-hmm. He stalked his victims to mm-hmm. see when the best time to attack them would be. Yep. Uh, when they were home alone, when their kids were away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also pretty sick that he knew the victims, like he made friends with the victims and then yeah. killed them. Yeah. That's fucked up, man. You know, we didn't get into the crime scenes, but I, I was wondering if there, if he knew them and after he did the bad things, if there was any covering of up of the bodies. Yeah, but I they didn't were found... see anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. About uh, blankets covering him up or anything mm-hmm. like that. Didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also, uh, I don't know if he was a dumbass or... Just an, just narcissistic, uh-huh. <laughs> thinking he'd never get caught because uh, he wasn't very careful with the evidence. He made the phone nope. call from one of the victims' houses. Mm-hmm. He went to work with blood on his clothing and, yeah. uh, you know, pawned stuff using his own name. So I don't know. Not the brightest bulb. No, uh- <laughs> no. Or, or he was just so narcissistic. Yeah. He thought that, yeah. You know, I can do whatever I want and I'll never get caught. Yeah, like consequences. We know somebody like that. <laughs> we sh- we all do. We all, we all every do. one of us yes. listening, everyone who can hear my voice, I know you know somebody like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, by the way, thank you for setting us straight on the difference between psychotic and psychopath. Psychopathic. Yeah. Psychopathic. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. Uh, we could not do any of this without the OG of true crime. So thank you. <laughs> Um, I was just thought thinking about the victims, imagining their lives before their deaths with their families and mm-hmm. they all had jobs and they had homes and 
they were members of their community and just like living life living and then, their lives. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, and it was weird that there was no signs of like forced entry. So obviously he right. knew these women, but the right. knife thing, I couldn't get out of my head. Cause he's also a chef, right? Somebody good oh, yeah. with a knife knife. Um, yeah. And I think the idea of slashing some, stabbing somebody in the face Ugh, um, so awful. is is really horrifying to me. I yeah. mean, I, cu- I have a paper cut. I'm like, oh my God, call all the authorities. Like, I know. So just the yeah. idea of cu- cutting flesh is really uncomfortable, I think, for the yeah. average person. But for somebody who's com- comfortable with knives, cutting flesh, cutting meat, um, that maybe that distinction for a psychopathic person. I didn't, yeah, is I didn't not really think about that. Much you know, of maybe a stretch. He's, like into it. Yeah. I mean, it, that was that was where my head went, and I right. appreciate you validating really me. I can't yeah. wait to talk to my therapist about this next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and it, it also just seemed really fucked up to me how um, I wonder what it was about him that he was able to sneak his way into these people's lives. You know? Yeah, he had to have been charming. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and then you, it's, you think, you know, somebody, but you never really do. Yeah. Um, the way he describes his mother, as Beth said, explains a lot. And she was domineering, which is the thing with a lot of serial killers, domineering mothers and their hatred for women. But he also said that both parents were abusive. And I just wanted to comment on the generational trauma that came before, before Carter was just a little speck in his dad's nutsack beyond (laughs) (laughs) beyond what he said in his home life abuse is obviously wrong but in the context of black people people who could literally be killed for breaking that social contract looking at a white person wrong black parents would be extremely strict in their discipline of their children to protect them and then if you go back even further we're talking about trauma trauma generational trauma during enslavement one of the worst things that could happen to a black parent, mother or father, is having your child sold, the master right. or human trafficker, finding them attractive and seeing value in them, just wanting to make money off of them. So some right. sometimes adults would very loudly and openly demean their children during times of enslavement, saying things like, you ain't nothing, you worthless piece of blah, 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 you um, you lazy son of a, you know, whatever, all the, right, all the mean right. things just to make them less attractive so that they to wouldn't, the so they could preserve their family. Yeah. 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 And so I just, that was a thing, a tool to survive, hard to break, yeah what, even though the 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 mechan- the the way we have to survive has changed and the things we have to survive against have changed a little bit but those those things are still sad. there so it is yeah. really yeah you're right so that's what i think of when i hear a, a black person describe their parents as strict or abusive is they they right. probably it, they probably were because there's there's abuse is on a spectrum it is or it isn't but if it's there it's on a spectrum but i also think that you have to consider the generational aspect in the context of the fact that this was a black person with a black family with black right. generational trauma. Yeah. And again, just because your parents are domineering or abusive, most people don't become serial killers. Amen. 
I'm, I, you know what? I'm looking through like the, my Rolodex of 38 years of life. Haven't killed one person. Yeah, I mean, I, I did drive to work this morning and I was like, I don't remember 45 minutes for my whole drive. I hope, I hope I didn't run anybody over, but if I did, nobody's pulled me over to like say that I did something wrong. So must be good. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, uh, most people don't. You're right. Um, so it is really, really fucked up. Um, yeah. And a, a hard, hard cycle to break. So I don't want, I don't right. want to diminish that. Um, I believe there's more bodies out there and I hope that whatever yeah. DNA we're waiting for, like I give me the results. Match now. it. Match it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I um, just wanted to bring this up because one of the, um, is it Brittany Leanne? Her yeah, mother, Brittany. she's 16 years old and her mother said she wouldn't just go and leave with someone else and not tell me. And oftentimes this still happens to this day when black or Brown people go missing the police and the authorities automatically just say, oh, they, they're they probably a runaway. Oh, it was probably yeah. drugs. Oh, they, oh, they yeah. probably just didn't give a shit. And just right. like completely like just shut it down. No, this was a person who had a close relationship with her mom. She, there's something wrong. Please do something. Yeah. So yeah. it just kind of sp- speaks to the lack of care and intention when it comes to something bad happening to a, a black or brown victim. Um, and so right. I just wanted to highlight that because um, that's what that made me think of. Other than that, I think that's it for the takeaways, my friend. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? I think so too. No, nope, okay. that's uh, it. Un aplauso. I feel proud of myself. Um, <laughs> so let's get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Okay, so I have been um, consuming a lot of things lately. Um, okay. And this case made me think, don't answer the door if you're not expecting someone or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they know you and care about you, they'll call you. <laughs> if they're, <laughs> uh, if, you know, it, it just don't answer the door uh, if you're not expecting somebody. Um, also, uh, I learned, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, and I had to do some research because there was some fact checking issues involved when this was first I first came to the scene, but Quick Trip as a safe place. Yeah, I knew about that. Okay. So there's a lot of false information out there, but what it comes down to is Quick Trip has partnered with the Safe Place Initiative. So they provide assistance to at-risk youth, runaways, people who might be involved in sex trafficking, people who need help. Um, And all it is, there's no like, there's no safe room or anything like that in a quick trip. Right, right. A quick trip is generally, I think, a, a it, it, for the most part, as far as gas stations go, they're always clean, they're always open, there's always they're always real professional and fully stocked and kind. So if you needed help in general, I think it would be a good place to stop. That said, yeah. Their employees apparently are trained. So if you do come in and approach somebody at the counter and say you need help because you are at risk, you are a runaway, you are um, being trafficked, somebody is chasing you or you need help, they're 
trained to contact shelters or locate other resources to get you to safety. That's all it is. They're not, okay. they're not going to store you in a safe room and like get safe all their room. guns yeah. and like, you know, bunker down <laughs> and keep all the, keep all the bad things away. But it is a resource. And I, I was blown away because I did not know that. Yeah. They have signs outside. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I just think that's so great. Now I, yeah. I, I don't know if quick trips are all over the country. They're, they've been everywhere where I've been. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. But there are other places that are safe places that have the safe so, place logo. Yeah. Is yeah. It a, so a sticker or something. I didn't know that. Um, It's like a little sign. Oh. So uh, just, you know, Google safe place initiative and you can find like other places that are safe places for you to go. Well, I was excited about that news and I hope that you are. Yeah, too. <laughs> I am. I, I actually, I love quick, quick trip. It's my favorite Me too. convenience store. Yeah. In and out in less than 30 seconds. Thank yep, you. They're very quick and yeah, yeah they are very and quick. So kind <laughs> and, and professional. They're so and they have friendly. like all the sodas, everything. <laughs> everything I've never been there once and had the slurpy machine not working. It nope, is nope. I it's, mean, it's what the more best. could a girl ask for? <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, that is our tip, and now it's time for the shout out portion of our show, where we shout out any content by or about any people of color, any marginalized or minoritized groups of folks by or about them, or any true crime goodies. I am loving a book that I'm listening to right now called My Sister the serial killer. <laughs> and it's just a really nice, it's not a true story or anything like that. It's a yeah, novel. It's, fiction. it's yeah. yeah, it's super fiction, but it is super fun. It's a 2018 thriller novel by a Nigerian writer named Oyinkan Braithwaite. Uh, it takes place in Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria. Um, and Karede is a nurse with a close relationship with her younger sister, Ayula. And Ayula is more beautiful. Everybody loves Ayula. But she is a psychopath. And she has <laughs> killed three of her boyfriends for what she claims is self-defense. And she makes her older sister clean up the bodies. It's, oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's really, I just am loving the because you also get to hear it's it's audio so i get to hear oh, okay, the okay. accents and um the different languages spoken just for context and stuff it's awesome. really it's just a really rich listening experience i'm sure the book with the papers and the words on the page is great too but that's not my thing so anyway that's what <laughs> i'm listening to on audible what it's so got? funny because i literally just bought that book stop it are you serious I did. friend yeah Oh my god! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I just I saw it on Amazon. I was like, you know what? That's that looks like fun, and I bought it, oh and it got here like three days ago. Wait, wait! Did you get it on like paperback? Yeah, I got the paper oh. one. Oh my god! But that I haven't not, read it yet. So. My heart is gonna burst out out of my chest onto this keyboard. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh my god! Well, I can't wait to hear what you. Oh book club alert yeah book club. Hey, book club. <laughs> oh my god put that on the list for later y'all Put that on the list oh yeah. my god but yeah i'm really enjoying it what do you got oh my god i can't believe that <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to shout out uh train wreck woodstock hmm. 99 on netflix have you watched oh, it yet oh my god yes i did <laughs> and i were oh my i remember because i was in eighth grade when Woodstock okay. 99 happened and I was like oh that looks so cool but oh my god it looks like media a nightmare then. and crickets. the yeah. the document well the commercials at the time made it look super lit but the documentary yeah, looking did. back yeah. 
made it yeah. look like just a a, a, a shit puddle show. of yeah. shit a puddle yeah. of shit that happened to have music playing at it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a three-part series about mm-hmm. you you guessed it the train wreck that was woodstock 99 yeah did you go by the way no no okay um, and it was suggested to me by Netflix. It wasn't something that I like sought uh, that's, out. That's yeah. It was just yeah. like, oh, Ooh, you might, you might yeah. like this. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I wasn't going to watch it because I didn't really know anything about it, and mm-hmm. um, I didn't really care. I was like, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but <laughs> I didn't have anything else to watch, and I was like, oh, I'll just watch a little and uh, see what see what's up. Yeah. And uh, they had me at the they first couple of scenes. Yeah, you're like, oh, like this- I was like, oh my god. What <laughs> What the fuck happened? Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm obsessed. And there's another one on um, HBO and it's not as good. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. Thank you for steering. I didn't think it was as right good. Direction. I mean, they, they did. Uh, there were some stories that they covered on that one that they didn't cover on uh, the one on Netflix. So I think it's worth watching both of them. Mm. But I, I thought just the storytelling on the one on Netflix is better. Yeah, I I, lo- I loved it. I thought it was really, really interesting. I got, thought they got a lot of really great perspectives. And yeah. it was really also fun to see all the VJs <laughs> who they brought yeah. back. You, I, I mean, that was going to be I was going to be a VJ when I grew up. Like there was no oh, that was going to be my job. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, right. d- I determined that I can't be a nun like Whoopi Goldberg on Sister Act. Right. So I guess next best thing is DJ be- on MTV. <laughs> um, and it was really, really cool to see them yeah. to see them back uh, on screen. Back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was a really good one. Oh, yeah. Beth, I I feel like we have two like our brains are separate, but we're they're in, gravitating we're towards sync. the same yes. things. We what are in is sync. this? Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> so for shout outs, that is My Sister, the Serial Killer, a novel that you can get wherever you get books or on Audible as well. And Trainwreck, Woodstock 99 on Netflix, a three-parter. So, uh, gosh, this was a very interesting case. I'm so glad we got yeah, started. it was. Thank you, Minnie, for yeah. researching it. Yeah. Um, that's it for today. But where can the people find us in the meantime? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Oh, yes. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.